Good morning. I want to begin with a quick update on uh, some staffing here. Well, I think we have a picture that'll pop up on the screen behind me someplace. We have hired a new uh, family pastor. His name is Ryan Kultiska, and that's his wife, Ashley, and their three children. They're going to be joining us here in the next uh, couple of months sometime. Pastor Aaron and I, uh, we don't know the dates yet. But if you have any questions about who he is and would like further information, you can, of course, see Pastor Aaron or myself or any other staff member. But we'll formally introduce him when they show up. Amen. So uh, we're greatly relieved. I don't know about you, but we're, we're greatly relieved. So now we can move on to some other key hires that we have for the church. So we're excited about that. Um, pastors often uh, talk about this idea of call in their life. And uh, you have a call to ministry and you respond to that call and so forth. Here's something for you to uh, consider this morning. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've given your heart to him, then you have a call on your life. It's not unique to pastors. It's for everybody in the body of Christ. What do you think of that statement? Do you sense that you have a call on your life? Do you understand what that means and implies? We're to the last leg of our summer series this morning, and we've been this summer doing this overall series called The Heart of the Matter. And this morning we're beginning the last leg that'll last for several weeks. And this set of messages is entitled How to Approach Life uh, Rightly. And I think a lot of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are a bit lost in purpose and direction because they don't have a sense of calling in their lives. Uh, You don't have a sense maybe of the divine nature to which God wants you to interact with him and how you to uh, live your life. And this is what we're going to look at for a few moments uh, this morning. I'm going to use the call of Moses as an example for us to gain some insight into how the call of God works. But I'm not just going to look at it historically. I'm going to talk to you then very personally how that translates into your understanding and how you should do your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So go back with me in time for a few moments, when the Israelites were enslaved in the land of Egypt. God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. God had also promised and predicted to Abraham that there would be 400 years where his, his, his descendants would be enslaved and mistreated. Well, all this came true. And we're to the end of the enslavement period now. And they were enslaved and in bondage in the land of Egypt. And God puts a call on a man named Moses to deliver his people Israel out of their bondage. And you could see the hand of Moses, or excuse me, you could see the hand of God on Moses right away from the get-go. The Israelites were uh, becoming a growing threat uh, to the land of Egypt simply because they were becoming so numerous, just like God had predicted And so Pharaoh puts forth uh, a a ruling that all the young Hebrew boys that were born, of course, they'd be young because they're just born. I'm just catching myself there. Uh, That they should be killed at, at birth. So Moses' mom has him, and she loves his son like any normal mom would, didn't want him to be put to death, so she hid him until she couldn't hide him anymore. So then she places him in a little basket and puts him in the reeds in the Nile River. And lo and behold, along comes the daughter of Pharaoh to bathe in the Nile, and she sees this little basket with this little baby crying in it, and she has pity for him, and she took him home as her own son. And then, as ironic as it 
is, improbable as it is, she sends for Moses' mom to be his nurse. And we can see the divine hand of God in the life of Moses. But I want you to think about something. I want you to think about this really hard. God saved Moses, and he put him right in the middle of the ones who were trying to destroy him. He didn't save him from them. He didn't take him out of that culture. He saved Moses. And then where was Moses? Right in the middle of the very culture that sought to put him to death. Now, we've got to understand something about the call of God. God doesn't call us from things. He calls us to things. And when you love Jesus Christ and you've given your life to him, he calls you to be right in the middle of a culture that's far gone from him. He calls us to be the redeemed people of God, bringing forth the redemptive plants of God into a culture that probably, by and large, doesn't get it. He doesn't call us to flee from the culture. He calls us to minister to the culture. Are you seeing that? We're all called. We're all part of the redemptive plan of God, just like Moses was in his time. We are in our time. So, do you see your life like this at all? Because you know what? We were in the reeds at one point, you and I. We were destined for destruction, but yet our Jesus came and saved us, right? And rescued us from sure death. And now he has anointed us to be part of his redemptive purposes for this world. So let's continue on in the story of Moses. He grows up, he becomes a prince of Egypt, and he goes out to look at his people and to wander among them a little bit. And he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew. He looks around. Nobody's watching. At least he thought nobody was watching. And he kills the Egyptian. I don't think that God necessarily ordained that. What do you think? I think Moses was impulsive and took matters into his own hands. Well, he finds out that he was seen and he fears for his life, so he flees out of the land of Egypt and, and, and ends up in this land called Midian. And I think that for a season, Moses was lost. Kind of lost his way, wondered what his life was all about, and uh, he evidently figured that I'm just going to dwell now in Midian forever, and he marries a local girl there, and probably thought this is going to be my life. But if God has his hand on your life, Oftentimes, his plans aren't your plans. His ways aren't your ways. And I think for you and I, when we come to Jesus Christ, a lot of us are saved. And we're so frustrated and so maybe disgusted with our former lives that we think God's going to save me from this thing, which he does, and I'm going to end up over here in the land of Midian. I don't want to be over there anymore. And then God does something to you. He gives you a heart. He gives you a passion. He gives you concern for the very things and the people he called your life out of. Amen? And you begin to pray for them and have a ministry to them that's uniquely yours because you know what? Nobody else knows them like you know them. Nobody knows your biological family like you know them. Nobody knows that uh, circle of friends like you know them. And if you don't care for them, if you don't have a sense of God's purpose for them, who in this world will? God has a call in everybody's life. And it's not a call from something. It's usually a call right back into something that you've experienced. Only now you go in equipped with the plans and the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So 
Now we're through what I call the basic introductory courses to being called. We've looked at course 101 and 102 just a little bit here. Now I want to get us to the meat, uh, get us to, you know, the richer course, to get us to the higher education on this understanding of a calling. And so we're going to look specifically at Moses and how God worked his calling in his life and hopefully translate that into our own lives. Let me give you point one to begin with. Realization that you are called can begin with curiosity. Realization that you are a called one can begin with curiosity. I'm going to be reading from Exodus 3 this morning. I'm going to read sections of Scripture from this one chapter of the Bible. So if you have your Bible and you want to open it to Exodus 3 and just keep it open to that Scripture, we're going to go there frequently this morning. Um, By the way, it's Genesis, Exodus in your Bible, so it's pretty easy to find, second book of the Bible. We're going to be looking at chapter 3. Listen to the first three verses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. So Moses had settled into Midian. Most likely thought, this is going to be my lot in life. This is where I'm going to spend my days. And so he's out doing his shepherding stuff in Midian. And he notices that this bush is on fire and it doesn't seem to be consumed. And curiosity got a hold of him. And he said, I'm going to check this out. What in the heck is going on over here, you know? And, and so he went over there. I just spoke, I just spoke Fargo to you, didn't I? I? Don't forget I said that like that. Anyway, we humans tend to be curious creatures. Most people wonder to what degree um, is life about, uh, what's the purposes of my life, am I an eternal being? We have this natural curiosity about us. Any of you ever watch an action thriller movie? Any of you ever do that besides me? Are you just really quiet this morning? So every time I notice this kind of pattern in a movie, the thriller movies especially, there's a dark basement the, the, the good guy should never go into. There's a bad hallway they should never walk down. There's some door they should never open. And every single time they go in the basement and they go down the hallway, they open the door and I'm going, why are you doing that? You know bad things lie behind there. You're the star of the movie. You should know better, you know? Because there's this curiosity and they have to satisfy the curiosity. We humans have this curiosity. And God, I think, wants to use that curiosity to help unfold his plans and his calling in our lives. When my kids were young, they really liked the book Curious George. Any of you ever read Curious George, your little ones? Oh, over and over again in the household of the Norbys, we read Curious George to the point where I go, oh, you guys have it memorized. Why do we want to read it again? And it's all about Curious George, a curious little monkey, right? And the man with the yellow hat who has no name. And uh, Curious George always got himself into trouble because he was curious. God has put into you and I this curiosity and I think we all have burning bush moments in our lives and God is saying to you and I, if you'll just pursue that curiosity, if you'll just pursue godly curiosity that's aroused in you, you'll begin to know my calling on your life. So here's a reflection question. What in your life is arousing godly curiosity right now? What in your life is arousing godly curiosity? So here are some examples of how curiosity may be aroused in your life. You, you see another person, and they're living for the Lord in a way you think, can I do that? I would really like to be like that person. There you go. There's some godly curiosity being aroused. 
that you need to pursue that curiosity. You need to begin to seek God in that way because I think in the doing of that, his calling will be revealed in your life. Problems can bring you to the end of self-sufficiency at times and you begin to wonder because you're in the middle of a problem, is this, what's life really about? Is this what I should be doing? And what's God have for me here? That's another way that we can have what I call God the curiosity aroused. Uh, you can have a lot of success in life, but yet feel very hollow. Ah, oh, there you go. There's some curiosity that's being aroused, and God is saying to you, maybe you're putting too much of your energies into worldly treasures, and I want you to put your energies into treasures that moth does not uh, eat and rust destroy. And there's godly curiosity being aroused. Sometimes a sudden life interruption, a death of a loved one, loss of a job, an illness can arouse godly curiosity in your life. And, and here's, here's why the, this is important. It gets you kind of wondering, God, am I in the place you want me to be? What do you want me to do? That happened to Moses. He saw this burning bush. He said, I'm going to go over. I'm going to check that out. His curiosity led him to an experience with God. So what is godly curiosity in your life right now, and where does it want to take you? Let's continue on uh, with Moses calling, and we're going to look at Exodus 3 now, verses 4 through 6. Listen to this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to, the, to look, God called to him from within the bush. Stop there. Some of us, we've read this over and over again, haven't we? I mean, this is a talking bush, right? This is not a normal thing. God called him from within the bush. Wouldn't you go, bushes don't speak? I would just be shocked. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. I would have said, why are you talking bush? You know, anyway, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. See, the calling will often involve a revelation of God. That's why understanding that you're called is so important. It often involves a revelation of God. Moses, being curious, went over to look at the burning bush, and he had an encounter with the living God. He met the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Woody Allen, who's not the most uh, brightest character, a director and actor in movies said, if only God would give me some clear sign like making a large deposit in my name at a Swiss bank, I'd believe in him. Well, let's talk on this for a minute. Has God given us any signs, any burning bush kinds of things in our life that are a revelation of who he is. Yeah, he's done that all over the place. All creation, we're told, in the Bible speaks of the Lord. The older I get, the more I look out at creation in wonderment. The other day, we're golfing, and there's this really cool dragonfly that Aaron and I, we just kind of started watching. It shows you how much golf has captured our souls. But anyway... Looking at that dragonfly, you go, that is the coolest looking dragonfly. And he landed on Aaron's toe. And so we're, we're both looking at Aaron's toe and the dragonfly. And I thought, it has teeny little wings. And then Aaron said, no, the wings are clear. <laughs> you can't see part of them. I said, oh, they're really cool. So last night, I'm out in our little garden by the side of my house, and there's like a thousand of these dragonflies. 
out there. You know why? They eat mosquitoes, right? You know that. Being from Minnesota, dragonfly, do never, you never kill a dragonfly. They're your friend. They're mosquito eaters, amen? And so I'm out there singing a little song to the dragonflies. Friends of mine, eat the mosquitoes. Come, dragonflies. And if anybody came by, they would have thought, what's wrong with this dude? I hate mosquitoes. How about you? And so anyway, all of creation speaks to the Lord. Amen? Really? Do you see him in small things? And Lydia said, Dad, what are you doing? (laughs) I said, I'm encouraging the dragonflies to eat mosquitoes. They're our friends, Lydia. You know, and we're having a talk about dragonflies. And I think, isn't that interesting how... God has made all of nature, and it's a wonderful interaction with itself. It's just marvelous. Creation speaks of God. It illustrates God. God's revealed himself by his divine inspiration of the Bible. The Bible is such a unique, divinely inspired love letter of God to people. And when I read it anymore, I go, wow, it's a revelation of God to us. And then you have Jesus Christ himself. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. You've seen God in person. It's a revelation of God to us. And there's miracles all over the place. Do you see miracles? We often call them coincidences. Why do we do that? When God does a miraculous interruption in our schedule, why don't we say, whoa, okay, that's God. We too quickly write off the miraculous. I've done this in my life. I remember when I first started pastoring in Wilson, I didn't have a lot of confidence. Not that I have a lot of confidence now. But at any rate, I was feeling like, wow, God, I don't know if I can do this pastoring thing. I don't know about this whole calling. I'm a little unsure of myself. And I remember I went through a season where it happened to me weekly. Someone would be laid on my heart from the congregation. And I begin to pray for that person. I just offer up a prayer. Uh, and then the next day they would call me and they would say, hey, this is going on in my life. And it was usually some kind of a problem or some kind of a challenge. Well, I'm not the brightest bulb on the block. I'm just going to admit this right now. About the 10th week in a row that this happened, I begin to see it. God laid someone in my heart, and they would call me the next day. And I remember going, oh, (laughs) I'm not real bright, but this has happened a lot of times. And it's just like amazing how this is happening. And I began to understand what God was doing was giving me a word of knowledge to help minister to a person that had a need. And I, I, I remember when I realized and had my aha moment, God said, I'm with you. Why are you worried? This isn't about you. This is about me working through you. And ever since that point, I said, okay, God, you're in control because I had that revelation of who he was. Our burning bush, our problems, our moments of frustration, our moments of challenge oftentimes lead us to a godly curiosity that can take us to a revelation of God that can move us to this understanding of the divine calling he has in our our lives. And we all have a divine calling on our lives. So how has God made himself known to you? Here's a reflection thought. God is found by those who earnestly seek him. He's making himself known. We have to seek after him. Hebrews 11.6 tells us this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. So I would encourage you this morning, seek after God, seek after God. And what you'll discover is what Moses discovered. What is discovered is God's holiness. 
He's unique. He's one of a kind. He's set apart. That's what holiness means. Moses, you're standing on holy ground. You're not standing before some wooden idol here. You're standing before the one-of-a-kind God of all creation. Take off your sandals. I'm unique. I'm set apart. I'm God of God and Lord of lords. Amen? And when you earnestly seek after him, you'll discover God's holiness, and you'll probably discover your desperate need of him. Amen? Your desperate need of him. So if we went to the school of calling, what we've covered so far has been pretty elementary. I want to get to the graduate part of this now and get to the the deeper understanding of calling and how that works in our lives. And we're going to return once again to the story of Moses. Uh, Back to Exodus 3, verses 7 through 10. Listen to this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, uh, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go! I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So Moses had a call in his life to deliver people. Amen? He had a call in his life to deliver the people of Israel. Curious about the burning bush. He has a revelation of God. And God says, now here's what the call is going to look like. You're, Moses, the one. You're the man I'm calling to be point on my deliverance of the people Israel. Sometimes we read an account like this with Moses and think, well, I'm not Moses. I think your call is more like Moses than you realize. I think all our calls is more like Moses than we realize. Here's why I say this. You go over to the New Testament and we see this. Jesus had a call to deliver people. Just like Moses had a call to deliver Israel. And we read in the New Testament how the Old Testament is given to us as examples for us to learn from. Jesus, then, was exampled by Moses. Moses foreshadowed what Jesus would do. So when he was called to deliver Israel, he was foreshadowing that one day God's Son would call to deliver all people. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has appointed, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then if you go to the end of the, uh, of the Gospel of Luke, to chapter 19, and verse 10, we clearly and succinctly uh, read about this call of deliverance by the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So what we see is, a call of Moses to deliver people, and we see the Lord Jesus come and expand that call to all peoples. And now we are pulled into the scenario. We are also part of God's plan of deliverance. As a follower of Jesus, you share Jesus' call to deliver people. You share in that call. Listen to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 19. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let that sink into your heart. Let that stir your soul a little bit this morning because I know a lot of us think like Moses. Who am I? 
I can't do this, God. That's what Moses said. In fact, if you were to read in Exodus 3, verse 11, Moses basically said to God, who am I? I can't do this. And we too, we read about Moses. We think, well, that's a cool biblical character. We read about Jesus. We know we're not like Jesus. And we may think, who am I? I I can't do this, God. And here's the good news. You're exactly right. (laughs) You cannot do it. And who are you? Amen. Amen, right? That excuse didn't work for Moses, though. And that excuse doesn't work for us either. Because it's not about us. It's about God working in and through us. It's about a God that's greater than us. A God who has plans for us. It's not about your qualifications. Amen. Amen. Some of us say, amen. It's not about our charisma. Some of you are going, good, I don't have any of that. It's not about your ability to be, you know, articulate and share the gospel in such a profound way that people go, oh, you're just brilliant. It's not about that. It's not about how good you look, how strong you are. It's about who God is and what he wants to do to his people. And what is required from us is that we give what we got to him and start there. Amen? We give what we got to him and start there. And God does things profoundly differently than we would too. And his, his ways are not our ways. And he does things that we never even imagined he would do. And we just have to be open and willing to, to, uh, to be used by him. This reminds me of a story. I told it in the first hour. I'm going to tell it in the second hour. It loosely ties into this message, but it's such a good story that I'm just looking for an excuse to tell it. So a man died... And he left the 17 camels to his three sons. One was to get one-ninth. One was to get one-half. And the other was to get one-third of the camels. Now, if you're a student math, you, you're going to know this is impossible. Because 17 is considered a prime number. And the prime number is not divisible. You can only get one times 17 to equal 17, but you can't divide it up any other way. So here you have these three sons with this command of their deceased father with 17 camels that they can't figure out how to divide up and, and, and equate to what he said. So after some arguing, they go to a wise man who has a camel tied out behind his tent. And they said, there's 17 camels. One of us is supposed to get two, I was supposed to get half, and the other supposed to get a third. We can't figure out how to do that. Can you help us? And the wise men said, yeah, I can help you. I'm going to add my camel to your 17 camels. And then we'll divide, they'll divide up then, because 18 now is a divisible number. So he gave two camels to the first brother like he's supposed to. He gave nine camels to the second brother like he was supposed to. And he gave six camels to the final brother like he was supposed to. And he had one left over, his own camel, and he took that back. It works. You have to, if you don't believe me, do it on paper. It works. And that's often how God works in our lives. We look at something and we think that's a prime number. I can't divide it. And then God enters into the equation. All of a sudden, he has the extra camel. <laughs> he has profound ways that we are not aware of. And he does things we cannot do. And has resources we do not have. And wisdom that we do not have. And if we will merely seek him and count on him, and be reliant upon him, and seek after him. 
He'll do things in our lives we cannot even begin to think about doing in our own lives because we don't have the math skills to do it. And this brings us to point number four. It actually does tie into the message really well. I don't know why I say it doesn't tie into the message. It does. This is point number four. The call comes with a God factor. The call you and I have comes with a God factor. Listen to Exodus chapter 3 now, verses 12 through 15. And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation uh, to generation. So here's what God's saying to Moses. Don't sweat it, buddy, I'm with you. This isn't about you, this is about me. And interestingly enough, Jesus promises the same thing to you and I as we enter into this redemptive plan of God for all peoples. He said, I'm with you forever. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And when Jesus went to heaven, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send back to you the person, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live right inside you, and he is going to make my ways known to you, and his power is going to anoint your life. Amen? And so we have the same promise to us as God gave to Moses, that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation because we've been reconciled to Jesus Christ, and we have to understand that we are divinely called, and we need to step into that calling, and we need to begin to act and live that way. You know what? If we're going to have the right approach to life, I think it begins with understanding that every single one of us is divinely called. It's not just the call of a minister, a pastor, but every one of us is called uh, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we look at the right approach to life, wisdom begins by understanding and being curious about this idea that God has a call for me. And expecting God to give us a revelation of himself in this curiosity of seeking out that calling. And then like Moses and like Jesus, you and I are definitely called into this ministry of deliverance, of of redeeming uh, the world. And this calling comes with an anointing of the filling of the person of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I ask of you this morning is simply this. Be open to what I just shared. And begin to kind of pursue it and seek after it. And here's the starting point. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Who are the people in your life that God is calling you to care about and to be part of his redemptive plan for them? Who is close to you? Who is in your circle of influence? Who is in your work center? Who is in your family? Who is in your neighborhood? Begin to pray for such ones. Bloom where you're planted. Ask for wisdom from God to be a godly uh, friend to such ones and a godly counsel to such ones. If they don't know Jesus, there you go. Begin to pray for their souls. Amen? That's always a good starting point. If there's people around you that don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't pray for them, ask this question, who will? You are part of God's plan. You are called of God. 
to be a minister of reconciliation, step into that calling and begin to live it out. God is with you. He will be part of this process. He has called you into this kind of a ministry, and he has filled you with the person of the Holy Spirit to equip you for this ministry, and that person of the Holy Spirit will work in those other ones' lives. This isn't about what you can do. It's not about who am I. It's not about your charisma. It's not about your winsomeness. It's not about your ability to articulate things. It's about your obedience to being a called one of God and stepping into that calling, understanding that the power of the Holy Spirit is with you. Be reliant upon him. Get this. I want to end with this statement once again. If you love Jesus, if you're saved, then you're called. Amen? If you love Jesus and if you're saved, you're called. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for the story of Moses and how we can see your calling work. Lord, I know for some of us right now, we're facing some things that are probably arousing godly curiosity in our lives, whether they be things of trial or things of challenge or just maybe it's really going well and we wonder what, what is to life? Is there more to life than this? Oftentimes, the clarity of calling in our lives uh, begins to really happen when we have this godly curiosity about things in our life. And Lord, I know that as we seek you with that curiosity that you've promised you'll be found by us and we'll get a revelation of who you are, God. And of course, that revelation is going to involve your holiness and our desperate need of you, God. And God, I know as we push into you, the more we push into you, the more we seek after you, the more you will reveal to us that we're part of your redemptive plans for mankind. That just like you sent your son to save and to seek the lost, you too have called all the ones who love your name, who walk according to your purposes, Lord, into that same ministry, that ministry of deliverance, that ministry of setting the captives free. God, we want to be part of that calling and part of that ministry. And we know that the Holy Spirit in us will make this possible, Lord. And so we're reliant upon him this morning, Lord. And I want to pray for all of us here this day that we would step into this calling, understand that we're called people. I pray that that would be the beginning point of approaching our lives rightly, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and what we know you call us to do, you accomplish in us. And what you call us to do, you equip us to handle, Lord. Would you just change our perspective on life? Lord, and we acknowledge this morning that we're called ones, called for the cause of Christ. Help us to live accordingly, Lord, with that kind of perspective, I pray. Holy Spirit, just fill us and anoint our lives. Make them more than what we can do on our own, for sure. Anoint us with power and with wisdom and with words that aren't our own, with math that we can't do ourselves, Lord. Just anoint us, would you, Jesus, I pray. Bless the people of Grace Point. Fill them with your Holy Spirit this day, Lord. And may we go from this place understanding we're called ones. Pray these things in your name and by your blood, Jesus. And all God's people said, 